Hello and welcome to episode 13, episode 13, 13 of the High Wide and Handsome podcast. That's not, it's not unlucky for me or the podcast as this week's guest was incredible. Ben Dinnery, thank you so much for coming on and uh, I'd say he's the type of guy that isn't just Football Index as much as he is. He has FPL following and he has just football people who want to know about injuries in general. Uh, following him so if you're one of these people that have tuned in to listen to Ben what I'd say to you about this podcast is that although it is a football index podcast the likes of Ben are coming on next week with Michael Cox which isn't a strictly football index podcast and then two weeks ago we had Ronan Murphy who very knowledgeable in Irish German and football in general he's a journalist so there are these types of people will come on and what I'd say to you is and this is not for an, an egotistical maybe just like big up my ego and my podcast great but if you do subscribe it actually will help you sort of have a look each week if it's one that doesn't interest you just don't listen but there will be big ones throughout the year so yeah other than that what else do i need to say i just want to thank everyone really from the bottom of my heart i'm not joking here and i'm not saying it lightheartedly um the reviews you've left are incredible there's like 50 reviews there one bastard left me four stars where the fuck did i lose a star eh anyway I've got five stars on like 49 <laughs> reviews or something. So thank you so much, everyone. And uh, if you can keep those coming in, it's amazing. It pushes me up rankings. It makes people more likely to find me. Blah, blah, blah. It'll lead the longevity of the podcast if you like it and all the rest. Um, I could tell you a bunch of bullshit that every single podcast maker and YouTube video maker tells you. Subscribe, like, hit the buttons. But really do, please. I get why they say it now. I am rambling on in a major way. You're sick of my voice. Let's go listen to Ben Dinnery and then I'm going to talk to Trading Bear for 20 minutes at the end about this week's biggest risers, biggest fallers and a prospect player going forward. Thanks for listening. And now we're here with Ben Dinnery, uh, the injury guru for FPL Football Index and all things football. Ben, how are you? And would you like to tell everyone a bit about yourself? Maybe a quick summary before we go any further. Uh, hi, John. Uh, thanks for inviting me on the show. Uh, yes, uh, so I'm an injury data analyst um, and have been for almost 10 years now. Um, so basically my life, seven days a week, 365 days a year evolves around injuries and primarily uh, that's in and around players uh, in the from the from the British Premier League so you know players from within the English Premier League um, and uh, maybe those players who are involved in European domestic competition Champions League Europa League and of course rather apt for for this time of um, the year you know players who are involved in international football. Um, so that fits well, like you say, you mentioned, um, for fantasy football purposes, but also in and around the football index as yeah, well. Yeah, I see a lot of people tweet you directly when someone gets injured saying, Ben, what's the story, mate? Um, it's a bit of pressure there. Do you ever find that you need to go scrambling trying to find information or get inundated with messages? Um, yeah, I, you know, as soon as somebody gets injured, you know, that's the first question that any, you know, when will a player return to play? Um, so again, I would probably say you know 95 percent of my demographic are, are have its roots in fantasy football so they need to know you know do i keep this player or do i transfer this player out before we have a price price drop you know similarly for the index 
you know, can we expect that player to return soon or on our best maybe, you know, dumping some of those shares for now and then, you know, maybe uh, if the price is going to dip. Um, and it and it's a very, very difficult question to answer. Um, you know, within the first maybe 48 to 72 hours, players are still being assessed. If we're talking about a significant time loss injury, maybe an ACL or, or severe, you know, ankle ligament problem or a, a grade three muscular tear, um, you know, that assessment can be ongoing. Uh, so what we're, all we're doing really uh, in, in terms of looking at time scales, we're looking at one, we're looking at the historical data of the player. So, you know, have they had this type of injury before? How long it's took for them to recover? Um, we then look at maybe um, similar players of a, of a similar age, of a similar position um, and a similar type of injury and look at their sort of return to play timelines. And we also look then at the, at the maybe the managers, you know, the, the, the backroom staff and the sports science team behind them. So if we're thinking maybe, um, you know, last season with Rafa Benitez and, and Florian Lejeune with his ACL, you know, we know that um, Rafa likes to use his, his Professor Moriani out there and we can expect a pretty quick return to play for Lejeune, which we did. It was 140 days, uh, as opposed to the norm for the average in the Premier League, you know, for the last maybe 10 years is around about maybe 270, 280 days. So, you know, you can almost half that timeline. So, we, you know, we take a lot of factors. There's a lot of influencing factors that we'll try to, to take, you know, to consider before giving a, a return to play timeline. You know, but what, we're, what we are doing as well, we are telling that, you know, as if a player is, you know, going to have a, a perfectly smooth road to recovery you know, which is very, very rarely the case. There are often, you know, setbacks and, 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 and issues along the way that can affect um, that that return to play timeline. Yeah. What, what, what are the main sort of setbacks that happen? Would it be people sort of overexerting themselves in physio programs or is it, you know better than me, what sort of things would be the main setbacks? Yeah, so there's been a bit of a shift in, in, in recent years with regards to, to the rehab of players. So as opposed to, you know, previous, you know, historically, you might say um, an ACL injury, nine to 12 months. Now what they do, they tend to go focus on a more a task-based activity, you know. So opposed to the, the, you know, when you had a reconstructive surgery on your ACL, the surgeon might have said, you know, by month four or five, you would expect this player to be running again. Well, you know, that's not always the case. And all of a sudden, you know, your body doesn't, um, you know, naturally know that, oh, well, here we are in month five, I must be able to start running again. You know, that just doesn't work in real life. So what happens is you do more task-based activities. So within, you know, and it's about just ticking off gradual increase um, in, in exercise and recovery um, and, and working through a set program um, protocol to ensure that you know you're protecting the body and uh, ensuring that you don't have any setbacks but ultimately you know with uh, with long-term injuries um, you know minor muscular niggles issues are, are commonplace um, you know it's when you're talking about Premier League football uh, and when you're talking about players involved in the Premier League you know you're talking about players who are at their, at their peak level of, of human fitness, they're right on, you know, the very edge of their capabilities, 
you know they're running uh, at maximal speed sometimes with with little or, or, or no rest in between so that you know the, the demands and the stresses on the body are um you know extreme and i, I always go back you know if um if you don't want an injury you know, you don't play football because that's just part and parcel of the game. Yeah, and there's players, unfortunately, that end up racking up a million injuries before they're 20, 21 or very early in their career. And it makes them, that that really affects their value or their prospects going forward a lot of the time. Um, And I suppose we'll get on to some specific young players and whatever have been injured in a while. But something I wanted to ask you, or we could go on forever about it, but just to narrow it down, what would you say maybe the three big in like in your head what are the three worst injuries that should ring alarm bells for traders or for pe- for people who just are supporting a team and one of their players gets an injury what would be maybe the three worst and then we'll maybe ask three that aren't quite as bad as the sound that have big bad names but maybe don't actually are very easily recoverable to almost 100 percent yeah i mean i think the, the the first one that springs to mind and i and i've touched upon that before would be the acl you know the dreaded acl um a few years back you know it, it was considered maybe you know career ending certainly career threatening um these days um the surgical procedures and and the advances are such that you know there is a, a high return to play rate um and but what isn't as is maybe as is, is well publicized is you know players rarely get to to return to their the same levels of performance um, it, you know, it's very difficult. Uh, and it's an analogy that, uh, that a good friend of mine, uh, Johnny Wilson, used. It's, it's almost like when you've got both knees intact, it's, it's like riding your bike with both hands on the handlebars. Now, once you have an ACL injury, yes, you can ride your bike, but it's almost, you know, it's, you're riding along with one hand. So it's about how um, it's, Yes, you put trust in the surgeon and the rehab uh, to to ensure that your body is 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 ready for the rigors of of Premier League football and the physicalities of that. But also, you need to be protecting yourself in terms of adapting the way you play football. And there's got to be you know there's got to be some compromise in that. You know, if you're a centre forward and you rupture your ACL and your right knee, well, maybe you need to start spinning off and turning on your left hand side. Um, you know, and, and, and putting a lot of your maximal force through that left knee to protect that right hand side, you know, to give yourself the, the, the best opportunity of, of prolonging your career and, and, and playing at the highest level. I suppose um, the danger then, you know, we sorry, I was just going to say yeah, on that, sorry. I think like just because I have a sort of a story for myself that might kind of go along with that. I think the danger with that as well is that if you've one knee that's significantly weaker or even from a psychological standpoint, you're less likely to put the, the force on that knee. I mean, I have patellar tendonitis in my left knee or bursitis or something. I've been told different things by different physios. I'm back playing rugby now. I took a while off and I find myself constantly sidestepping off the same foot now where I'm loading onto my right leg. And I very rarely sidestep the other way where I load on my left. And I suppose at the very highest level where analytics are everything, if a player's maybe really done in their right knee and they're not... I don't know, dropping the shoulder the same way they used to, that's probably being picked up at the highest level because of the level of analytics. So maybe it would make people a bit more predictable 
and that that might also contribute to the fact that they won't reach the highest level that they were maybe at before. Is that fair? Would that be a factor? Yeah, definitely. I think psychologically, you know, we've seen an interview with uh, Aaron Ramsey uh, a few years ago when he was at Arsenal and he was talking about that horrific leg break that he, that he suffered. And he was saying, you know, it took him over two years to actually um, to feel, to walk out on that pitch and feel confident and feel comfortable in the fact that, you know, he could play football again. And he knew if he went into a challenge that his, his leg and his body would be able to, to cope with the demands of the game and he and his body wasn't going to break down again. And I think the psychological aspect, um, you know, it's it's certainly been addressed more these days, but it was something that was maybe, uh, I'm not saying it was dismissed, but it certainly wasn't a priority. Um, I mean, I've had an ACL injury myself and I would say, you know, the reality, it was probably three years before I actually felt, you know, happy and confident that my knee was strong enough to be able to, um, you know, play football once again. Uh, you know, so it's, I think the psychological aspect was is definitely something which has been, uh, had been overlooked, but, you know, thankfully they're being addressed more these days. Yeah. And um, you were going to say something before I interrupted you to tell you my sob story. Were you maybe going to go on to another injury that's that's pretty bad? <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you, you know, our, our recurrent muscular problems, um, you know, your hamstrings are, are tend to be your, your most common, um, certainly within football. So around about, um, you know, 40% of all soft tissue muscular uh, issues relate specifically to the hamstring. Uh, and it's quite often called the sprinter's injury. So you'll see, you'll see players who are you know um, you know very explosive with with quick changes of direction. You know your wingers, maybe it's your wing backs, um, your centre forwards. Now they tend to pick up a lot of uh, hamstring problems. And you know I know they they, they vary in, in in grades. You know from uh, quite a, a sort of minor. Um, insignificant sort of grade one tear, which you know could might only keep a player out for a number of days, up to you know almost a, a grade three, which would be a, you know a, a full rupture. Um, but it can be those injuries which you know on 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 the whole don't necessarily seem too bad uh, in isolation. But it's again, it, it's it's just the um, the constant setbacks and that constant nagging doubt in a player's mind which you know we go back to you know maybe it's even the daniel sturridge of, of, of these world you know uh, can we body keep on performing at the highest level now i've had so many setbacks i've had so many breakdowns you know you begin to question and then you know as you touched upon you maybe change and adapt your game to maybe well actually instead of you know focusing explosive sprints down the wing and maybe, you know, adapt and stay on a little bit on the inside. Um, and that can have a huge detrimental effect on, on a player's career. So it's, like I say, it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, a big injury, career-threatening, career-ending. It could be something that can uh, seem quite insignificant uh, initially. Um, John Walters is, is one that maybe um, comes to mind, uh, you know, prior to his uh, retirement you know that was that was a, a niggling achilles issue you know there, there was there was he was coming back he wasn't he was training he wasn't ready to play there wasn't anything huge there to say oh you know that's it it's career over it was just something that was um 
niggling away in the background that just made it a little bit uncomfortable, made it so he, you know, he, he, he wasn't able to train day in, day out, and therefore he wasn't able to, to protect himself enough to be able to go out on the pitch, you know, and come through 90 minutes. And it's it's those those types of injuries, like I say, which which maybe fly underneath the radar uh, in some instances that uh, can can often be the worst. Yeah. John Walters. The fact you mentioned him just excites me. I remember big Johnny Walters, like a <laughs> big horse. He's like a national <laughs> hero, you know, not for his flair, just for his work, work rate. He's one of those players, no matter how shit he played or how shit he was, his work rate made up for everything. But... um. Uh, just uh, yeah, just those players who go out and give a hundred percent. You know, being a being a Jordy, being a, a Newcastle supporter, and uh, we haven't always been blessed. Uh, you know, with with, with a, a chairman with deep financial <laughs> pockets. So you know, those players who go out and are, are, are prepared to give it all. Uh, David McQuarrie, I don't know if that's a, a little, little bit, bit before possibly. your time, but he was he was a Northern Islander. I think he was early 80s, one of my favourite players, actually. You know, wasn't blessed with a, a great deal of footballing you know, ability. But in terms of, you know, giving you everything on the pitch, um, Davey Mack was there. Like He was, he was up there with the, with the best Yeah, of it's a huge thing fans love. It's like back <laughs> whenever, like Rooney, even playing at United, towards the end of his career uh, at United, a lot of people started to hate him. And I always loved him for his work rate because there's nothing that, like, if there's anything that gets people off their seats like a goal, it's a striker running back 50 yards and making a slide tackle. It's it's something I love to see. And uh, I don't think work rate can be under, I don't know, under um, estimated or underappreciated at the, the highest level. Anyway, I'm digressing. Are there any injuries <laughs> that maybe aren't quite as bad as they sound to you? And I know no injuries ideal, but are there any injuries that are quite common at the, the highest level that players get that you kind of hear and go, oh, I'll be grand in a week or two, and it, it it won't be a recurring thing or it won't become a chronic thing? It's more just a standalone injury that can be healed, or does that not exist? Um, do you know, every every injury has the has the potential, <laughs> you know, to, to be career-ending. Um <sighs> You know the body is is such a, a complex beast, um, and there's there's so much going on within there. So it's um, it's probably an impossible I question. Think, you know, I, yeah, I mean it's it's not just about it's you know footballers these days are you know they need to be athletes twenty four seven. They need to look after themselves in in, in the right way in terms of nutrition in training, in sleep, to ensure those performance levels, to ensure that, you know, they can maintain, uh, you know, that performance at the highest level throughout their career. Um, you know, and if there's any kind of imbalance along the way, you know, that's when you start to sort of pick up these little niggles and knocks and, and things that can, um, you know, have an adverse effect on your career. Um, so, you know, as... Again, it comes down to the to the individual, um, and it comes down to a specific injury. But there's, you know, there's, um, you know, we we see a high number of uh, ankle problems and and stuff, and the, even the, the the mechanism itself within the ankle joint is a, you know, is a wondrous thing. You know, it does it it it's expected to do a, a lot of things. So that's, you know, uh, but the powers of of healing of the ankle are, um, you know, brilliant. So it's, you know, you, you, 
I don't know if you maybe if we look at Harry Kane, for example, you know, uh, there's been a lot of talk about uh, his ankles and, and, and whether he may or may not require surgery at some point. Well, Harry seems to be, you know, bouncing back and, and, and delivering um, still uh, and the ankles seem to be holding up uh, for now. You know, when, when a lot of people suggested that, that certainly would not be the case. Um, so again, like I say, it's it's about, and I talk when people ask about injuries and, and teams and players and, you know, people like to clump everybody together and they give a, a very generalistic overview. Uh, and what I always try to stress is just look at the individual, look at that specific injury and, and, and look at, you know, the um, contributing factors in and around that to try and make some kind of informed assessment and judgment on on how it may or may not affect um, that individual. Something in terms of individuals uh, that is quite individual people to people is their birthday. I wanted to ask you about the, the difference in severity of the same injury, maybe to a 20 year old and a 30 year old. Does it, age is obviously huge. And is that down to the physical? I know it's obviously very, as you say, individual, it's down to the individual and it's all to do with previous injuries and whatever. And maybe a 20 year old is less likely to have as many injuries in the back pocket. And maybe that's why it's not as big a deal in general. But I suppose from a, a physical standpoint, is it is it much harder on the body of a 30-year-old than it is of a 20-year-old, injuries in general? Or is it more a case of the psychological aspect that the player's coming towards the end of their career, they might view the injury as more career-ending, whereas a 20-year-old might be much more gung-ho and they'll be grand and, yeah, we'll get back. Is it is there more to it than just the physical side of the injury? Is, is I suppose what I'm trying to ask you. I've went around that around around about about four times trying to ask that question, but do, do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I mean, yeah. Well, I know exactly what you mean, and I, and I, if if we look at the data, so if we want to, you know, break it down into individual um, sort of age groups around, you know, the similar types of injury, then yeah, you would tend to see that younger players, twenty, twenty three, maybe. 24 27 tend to recover you know return to play return to the training pitches a little bit quicker than those maybe you know in in over the age of say 30 um but again it, it comes down to the to the individual with that and and where the powers of recovery are maybe a little bit better for a you know a 21 or 22 year old um on the flip side of that you've also got that you know um, players within that age range who maybe you know maybe tend not to um, maybe look after themselves as well or, or don't place as much as a priority on looking after you know their well-being as much as you know a seasoned pro who's you know 30 31 32 years of age um, they, you know they may like to go out and <laughs> enjoy themselves on occasions let's just say uh, you know and, and so this so the Again, there are influencing factors which can um, dictate uh, how you know how well a player can recover um, from from certain injuries. And you know what? There's a lot of players who are 33, 34, 35, you know, with amazing powers of recovery. Who are you know you know if you just look at the likes of Lionel Messi and um, Cristiano Ronaldo. You know, two players who've been at the at the peak of the game, uh, and and 
not only are they delivering performances at the, the highest possible level and have done for a number of years, but if you look at the sheer number of games these guys play, you know, and, and, and they're no spring chickens in, in terms of, but to, to be, um, you know, to be able to deliver that on a, on a weekly basis, you know, sometimes two and three games a week, um, their, their focus and their um, levels of fitness and, and recovery are just, you know, almost borderline superhuman. You know, that it's, uh, if you ever want to look at the, at the pinnacle of somebody in the sport in terms of actually delivering at that highest level over such a long period of time, then those two players are, are, are up there with, with yeah, anyone. Yeah, it can't be underestimated. And I think it's something that often goes, it doesn't go underappreciated. Maybe it does. The actual level of dedication of a professional footballer because i know i wouldn't think of it i think ah geez those boys are having the time look at jesse lingard's instagram stories they're having the fucking dream <laughs> but then hmm. there's a difference between jesse lingard and the likes <laughs> of ronaldo and messi and these boys have been putting it in for 15 years or however long at the highest level week in week out no real um lengthy lengthy time spent in the sidelines and they're scoring goals every week nine out of ten performances like just it's insane because if you think of the the willpower required to do that to not just go off on a wee bender with your mates on a Thursday night and play some pool, do you know it's like they can't do that. I, I, yeah, I mean, the the, the focus and uh, attention to detail. They they are twenty four seven athletes. You know, in at the prime, they're the, you know professional. Um, they probably have every minute of their you know, waking day, analysed, looked into, and they're constantly striving to improve and push themselves, even now, you know, and that's reflected in, like I say, in, in uh, not only the performances that they're, that they're able to deliver, but just their availability rates. We're talking about players who are playing 50-plus games nigh on every season for, you know, 10-plus years. It's, it's obscene. Yeah. So I actually mentioned in the last podcast about how, Messi and Ronaldo and how long they last in terms of the index and how it'd be great if they could play forever because they're so good to watch and whatever. And then I said how like, geez, like Ronaldo is a bit of a different specimen. Like he's a sexy bastard compared to Messi. Like I'd be interested to see if Messi can, <laughs> you know, last as long as Ronaldo has. Um, I mean, there's what, three or four years in the difference. And Ronaldo's talked about playing to 40. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see how far Messi gets before he just says, fuck this. I think it's almost the competition between the two and all the records that keeps them both going. Yeah, I mean, you know what? I I would never, I, I could probably never understand the mindset. You know, you, you've won everything. I, I suppose from, you know, Messi, the, the, the one big thing that's is, is delivering on the international stage, you could argue. But in terms of what he's done domestically, you know, where does he go? You know, I've won the Champions League, I've won La Liga X amount of times, I've won the Ballon d'Or. Um, so just to keep on pushing yourself, and, and you, you're right, I th- and, you know, Messi, I think he's, he's, he's already come out and said in, uh, into the Spanish press, he, I think he misses Ronaldo, he misses that competition. I think the two of them, you know, push each other to the limit, push, you know, to strive to do better. Um, so... You know, look forward to them meeting head to head in the Champions League again this that season. That would be incredible. Are they in the same group? 
Uh, I have absolutely no idea. Yeah, well, look, fingers crossed they meet. I don't know either. The way you said it, I thought maybe they were. That that'd be some. It'd be real. No, like... I, I just literally meant. Um, yeah, it was. It was just a, a quite a literal comment, head to head, as in you know, going for the uh, the golden boot as opposed to being um, in the same group or the uh, yeah for the, the actual same game. Phase, yeah, yeah, it'd be interesting to see um, two brilliant players. But anyway, that's enough with the Messi Ronaldo debate. Are there any high-profile players? This is a question I want to ask you. Are there any high-profile players, in your opinion, that are like a stage in their career with injuries that their career is actually in the balance over it? Is there anyone who's such a well-known, high-profile player who's just riddled with it and it's at the stage now where it's almost like he's just going to have to jack it in or go and play Tier 2 or something? Is there anyone that jumps out or is there is there no one that would really... Um, I think there's a, there's a couple of players that spring to mind who are who are who would almost say at the last chance saloon. Um, one of those being Andy Carroll. So again, we're, we're looking at uh, you know local boy returned um, home. He, he had his you know he's had some well documented uh, injury problems in recent seasons. He's joined Newcastle on the back of uh, two ankle procedures, um, and I think you, you know he needs to. He needs to come back, and he he needs to get some minutes under his belt, and he needs to see if he can if his body can tolerate the demands of of Premier League football, um, because you know he wasn't able to do that at West Ham. Um, so I think he's he's at one that you, you know he's at that crossroads. Um, you know West Ham supporters could probably look at the likes of Jack Wiltshire and say exactly the same. Um, you know he's he's a He's a player that needs to be, you know, putting in maybe 20, 25 games this season um, just to prove to himself, to prove that he can, you know, still do it at the highest level. He's shown in, in glimpses during pre-season, um, you know, that he was able to put, you know, turn it on and, and, and give a decent performance. Uh, Premier League, not so much, but by his own admission, you know, he's still getting up to speed. Um, so there's uh, because the the Premier League, it, it, you know, it's a step up above again. So it's it's hard to gauge players from from non-competitive games in that that close season period to actually you know playing in the Premier League week in week out. You know, and the demands that the, that the league brings. Um, so those are the you know the two obvious ones that spring to mind. Andy Carroll, he he's been awfully unfortunate. He's a big horse as well. Um... And I remember his sort of breakout season with Newcastle before he signed for Liverpool. And it's very, it's, I hate seeing players like that, and especially like Jack Wilshere as well. He seems like he's been injured forever and he was the most promising youngster ever. Um, I don't know, could have been five, ten years ago at this stage. Um, yeah, it's a shit one to see. I wanted to ask you, I suppose, more directly about specific players and injuries at the minute that people might be interested in who are listening. Um, now, before we do that, we'll just give you a quick plug. The most of the Premiership ones or all the Premiership ones can be found at premierinjuries.com. dot com. Um, that is the correct website, isn't it? Before I go any further, yes, yes, yeah, that's right, John. You nailed it. <laughs> Good. <laughs> I got one job, got it right. Um, there's a, like, I was going to ask you a few from other leagues, but I think we'll stick to per- pretty uh, Premiership specific stuff because that is your speciality. The most recent one, which I'm going to, this podcast has actually been recorded, maybe five or six days before it's going to go out. So some of these things may have evolved, but just going off what we know now, do you know much about Emerson's injury last night when he was playing for Italy? He came off after about eight minutes. Yeah. I heard it was precautionary more than actual. Yeah. So what we'll tend to, you know, what we'll tend to see 
and the, those comments come from um, the Italy coach Roberto uh, Mancini when asked in the press conference how how Emerson was doing. Uh, you know, and the default for most managers at that stage, you know, when we're literally talking maybe minutes or, or even just a, an hour or two at post-match, um, you know, it doesn't seem too serious. Now, the concern is is one where we're talking about a muscular injury. So even if it was a very minor strain or even just a tweak, there's a, there's considerations to be made. Now, typically, you know, generally, you may be looking at maybe seven to 10 days on the sidelines. And again, that can vary down to the individual. Um, but in terms of, of, of maybe being involved in, in, in week five, when the Premier League fixtures resume, then, you know, I would certainly have a question mark over Emerson. One, because Frank Lampard does have other options available. You know, we have Marcus Alonso there, who, you know, is yet to start. In fact, he's only had one minute uh, under under Lampard, uh, one competitive minute since he's come in. So you know he is an option. And you know, secondly, you'd be thinking, well, you know, if there are any concerns whatsoever, even if there was a little bit of tightness in that muscle, the last thing you want to do is is put a player out there who isn't a hundred percent, and then you can risk maybe uh, exacerbating the problem. And from what turned out to be just a minor issue, could result in maybe a three four. You know, a five-week layoff. Um, so, with muscular issues, it's always best to err on the side of caution with that. Um, but he will be assessed, you know, fully at Cobham first, and then, you know, once he's been through those assessments, that'll give a better indication on whether he's going to be um, in a position to feature this weekend. Yeah, time will tell. Um, Alonso's not a bad second choice, to be fair. Um, speaking of fullbacks. Arsenal's defensive frailties have been slagged everywhere and ripped to shreds over David Luiz and just how shite they seem to be at the back. And what a lot of Arsenal supporters are saying is going to save them is the return of Bellerin and Tierney. Have you any update there or any idea when they could be back? Yeah, so both players are expected to return to full training with the group this month. Um, now, they're slightly ahead of schedule because originally that you know their focus was possibly on a return to play towards the end of October. So we are slightly ahead um, with regards to, to that. But if we look at, at Tierney first, now um, he had a double hernia up at the beginning of the summer. Uh, I think that was in May. He had been struggling with a, a, an ongoing groin complaint uh, for a number of months and to the point where he, he, you know, he couldn't continue. He went under the knife. Um, and that was going quite well. He's recovering his rehab while he was at Celtic. Um, however, Neil Lennon alluded to the fact that he, you know, he was still having a little bit of pain. There were a couple of issues going on there, but just you know, literally days before he signed for Arsenal, Lennon said he, you know, he was expecting Tierney back probably within a fortnight. Um, so it comes as a little bit of a surprise that uh, Arsenal announced that, it, you know, initially it was probably going to be October um, before Tierney was considered back into the team. Uh, however, what we did see through their social media channels and on their website, we did see Tierney involved in some um, vertical jump testing with, with the squad. And, and and the reason that made the headlines, he, he actually broke uh, the club record. Uh, <laughs> I think that was a record that was held by Aubameyang. So this guy's come in on, on the back of, it, of an injury where he certainly had been sidelined for at least three months at that point. Um, and he's he's been involved in you know vertical jump test results, which 
involved quite a lot of you know maximal explosive force through that so that in itself suggests that maybe Tierney is is quite close to a return now you know when we see a return uh, and where maybe he's looking at long-term injuries then it's not uncommon for players to be involved with maybe the development side first so possibly one of those players uh, with the under 23s as we've seen with Rob Holden uh, in recent weeks so whether Tierney comes you know back into the first team straight off or whether he gets minutes with the development side first which I think is probably more likely um but you know it wouldn't have surprised me if he's been doing some you know uh some games some friendly matches behind closed doors games down at uh, down at Conley maybe during the break to get him ready you know and he's very close to return similarly um you know Bellerin uh, we're looking at an ACL injury with regards to him so it's slightly longer so therefore you know the the Arsenal medical team and the the sports science staff will want to be a little bit more careful I expect a similar um you know gradual increase in in maybe minutes uh along the same lines as, as Rob Holden so you know, involvement with the under twenty threes, maybe a forty five minute run out, a sixty minute run out, an eighty minute run out, and then ninety minutes before then playing. You know, before being considered for the first team. But those two players will, you know, maybe getting some first team experience on the training pitches, and then some game day experience with the under twenty threes. But certainly, you know, both are, are are very much, you know, at the last phase of their rehab. That's great, great news for Arsenal fans. Um. I've got a few more players I'll ask you about who are pretty big in terms of the index and in terms of fantasy football. I'm just looking here at a bit, a bit of a list right now, just big injuries I could think of. But then just based on time, I think yeah. I have to skip over a few. And Per Angolo Kante is going to have to just be skipped because no one really cares about him for fantasy football and no one really cares about him on the index. <laughs> but it's great and really cute when you see him in a Batman costume and he's one of the best players in the Premier League. But <laughs> he's not as interesting <laughs> as maybe my next question. Callum yeah, Hudson yeah. and Doyle, he's very close to return, is he? Yes, yes. So he's coming off the back of a ruptured Achilles tendon. Uh, he's been training with the first team, been training quite well. Now, there is some suggestion, whispers that he may be involved for the under 23s um, this weekend coming up, which would be Friday uh, the 13th. Um, you know, whether he is or he isn't, he's certainly very, very close. So again, I think, you know, Lampard. Given the transfer embargo down to Chelsea, they don't want to be rushing any players back and potentially suffering a you know a major setback. So I think Hudson Adoy could get minutes for the twenty threes, gradually build up, um, and and then maybe introduce to the first team from the bench uh, at some point this month. Very good. And another youngster at Chelsea, Loftus Cheek. Any update? Yeah. So again, he was uh, he's another Chelsea player who suffered a, um, an Achilles rupture, uh, significantly worse off than than Callum Hudson at Um and quite quite a serious issue in all honesty. And he struggled during the first you know first phase of his rehab. Um, I maintain you know when it first happened, if Loftus Cheek um, manages to return to play this year. You know, I think he's rehab and, and, and everything's gone well. The official timeline from the club and, and guideline would be looking at sort of mid to late November. But again, we're, you know, that means we're talking about a trouble, uh, trouble-free recovery and, and all those sort of task-based activities are being ticked off. 
But, you know, if we said maybe late November to, you know, December time, then that would be very good for Loftus-Cheek. Good stuff. There's another few I was going to ask you about, but I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll just move on to questions from the community. And if people want to know more about the likes of Alisson, Laporte, Sané, Foyth, just find out at premierinjuries.com. Um, that's probably the best way. Um, we go on to questions from the community. I think you might have answered a few of them briefly on Twitter itself, but um, we're just going to do a few anyway and let the wider audience hear the answers. So Football Index Focus, mm. former guest, says, thanks for all the FPL injury updates, Ben. What are your tips for making the most out of FPL and Football Index knowledge? They both aren't mutually exclusive in his opinion and shared knowledge could be beneficial for both. Have you any thoughts? Yeah, I mean, so obviously, so my background um, with Premier Injuries was was for the fantasy community. And when Index Touch, you know, uh, sort of came on my radar a few years ago, there seemed to be quite a bit of synergy between the two and, and seen a natural fit for, for Premier. Um, you know, and it's, I think in terms of looking at, if we're looking at portfolio building and, and things like that, uh, you know, I try to manage and, and, and monitor players, you know, best I can. So this is a this is a daily job. You know, I, I'm updating um, the injury table anywhere between sort of ten and and fifty times a day. You know, you may or may not notice it could be quite subtle changes in terms of you know status updates or, or tweaks and return to play dates. And and those can, you know, if you're looking at maybe um, increases in in uh, portfolio prices then those are good you know those manager quotes and those return to play this do give a good indication of you know how close a player potentially is and obviously you know or you, the assumption would be as a player does close in um you know on being considered for the first team then you know his, his price naturally is, is going to rise so um you know just through the work that I'm doing through uh, Twitter which you know I'm producing a lot of content uh, you know, daily content through me through my timeline on Twitter and on the injury table, you know, should help you get, you know, you know, keep you um, certainly abreast of everything that's going on injury related wise, which can easily be, you know, adapted for both fantasy football and the index. And would you, I know you've dabbled in actually trading on football index before. When I say dabbled, I know you've done it. Do you still actively trade regularly? And would you focus your trading around injuries or do you just trade normal different strategies like other people or would you be hell-bent on getting those injured players when they're low using the inside scoop um, um yeah so uh, in answer to the first part of the question yes i've got a, a, a fairly substantial portfolio um at the moment although not quite six figures as i've seen with some <laughs> but i've uh, you know i've got um a, a good few thousand shares at the moment um and you know, initially when I came into the index, it was, you know, to use maybe that um, inside knowledge or that edge gained from from injuries. Um, but as I've, I suppose, um, grown to understand the index a little bit more, uh, my portfolio buying it has changed slightly, and I'm not just solely focused on, on injuries. Um, ah. ah. You know, I, I'm trying to think. Yeah, I probably Neymar's me, me, uh, me, me biggest uh, hold at the moment. Um, and I'm not. It, 
do you know what it is? I, I would love to offload to, if, if, if the truth be known, um, the, the, the long-term holds and not being able to, to dip in and out in, in, in these big disparities between buying and sell prices. Um, there's too much money tied up in it. And I, I like to be, you know, I've, I've, my portfolio consists of players that I've paid 11 pence for. Uh, I think Peter Ankerson, when he was a free agent. Um, and I think probably Neymar is, is, is my most expensive hold at the moment. And then anybody in between, do you know, uh, I don't really have, I'm picking up, you know, speculation, transfer rumours, just down to performance data. And, and maybe it's just trying to spot those ones who are maybe under the radar or those players who are maybe, you know, not based in, in some of the, the major European leagues. So I've got quite a lot of holes out in, in Brazil and South America uh, in the hope that, you know, a big European club is going to come along and snap them up and, and hopefully see their share price skyrocket. Those those types of holes are brilliant, but they do require patience. And that's something that it's often eluded me. Um the likes of is it Almendra? Is he he's playing out in South America with Boca Juniors? Is he? He's very promising. Been linked to Europe before. I'm on about the right guy, aren't I? Uh, I'll I'll leave that one to you. I'll leave. I was hoping he might have been one of your holes, but no. I, I remember. Uh, <laughs> no, I just remember holding Augustin Almendra, who plays for Boca Juniors before. Very promising. Could get a move to the Europe next season. Who knows? He was heavily linked last year, uh, but I just didn't have the patience to think to myself. Yes, he's probably the cheapest you're ever going to get him now, but. I'd probably have to wait another nine months before there's a bit of a, a rocket emoji, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, the strategy, how how I'm using the index really at the, at the moment, it, it's all really long-term gains. Um, I'm focusing on the World Cup in, when would it be, 2026 in the USA, Canada and Mexico. So this this literally is my saving pot for that um, in whatever is, is made between now and then will be used for flights, hotels, tickets. And uh, so, you know, I've got absolutely, um, you know, I'm not really focused on, on short-term gains. Uh, a lot of my players are uh, hopefully with, you know, the potential to make some, some big money. Although I have had my fingers burnt uh, a few times over the summer with the, you know, with the Chinese Super League uh, or with strong links to the Chinese Super League. And, and you know, uh, I got done with uh, Onoutovic, which was my own stupid fault. Uh, and I'm also stuck. I'm also stuck with Gareth Bale at the moment. And whether it's sheer stubbornness or stupidity, um, you know what? I would rather hold onto him in the hope that I can somehow claw some money back at some point and and take the risk of <laughs> losing everything um, rather than take that hit. I just can't bring myself to, you know, to flushing that money away now. It's a mental um, thing, yeah. It can be hard psychologically, the index. Like the thing with Gareth Bale is, I suppose, is very promising when he's a bit of game time for Real Madrid. You would have expected him to be sitting playing golf. But... <laughs> I suppose there's always that hope that he'll do something amazing for Wales or he'll make the headlines and get you some dividends. But um, look, good luck with him. Let's hope we... I mean, I, I think there's just as much chance he'll go to another European giant as there is he'll go off to America or China. I mean, it's a fair enough punt, but it is a punt. Well, he doesn't need the money. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's... Um, I mean, uh, 
I think part of my portfolio in the summer, I, I tried to just, you know, cherry pick a, a few players who were, were playing a little bit beneath themselves, players who I thought, you know, would bounce back. Uh, Mesut Ozil was another one. You know, I thought he was pretty average last year, but he had, you know, he's got the, the potential and the capability to be able to produce but again, you know, that, that for the moment anyways, backfired. Um, I had the issue, Alexis Sanchez, you know, I managed to, uh, I've, I've greened up on him now, which is which is good. So I'm, I'm holding on to a couple of players who are just, you know, have disappointed, I would say, in the first few months that I've owned. But like I say, I'm looking at the, more the long-term game and, and, you know, whether I'm, I'm take a slight hit on the, the moment, it doesn't really concern us. Um, Inger Inge, I don't know how you pronounce it. It looks like he's from Scandinavia. Inge Jarl Clausen, I'm gonna go for. Uh, he asks, are the medical terms, are the medical teams a major contributor for long-lasting injuries developing? Um, I think there's a there's you know the, the, there's not one simple answer to that. Um, you know everybody plays a part. I know Inge, I know Inge very well, and uh, we've had a lot of. Uh, conversations in the past and, and he you know um, does uh, uh, talks about what they call vegetative training which is a you know is a little bit removed from from what we would consider maybe the the orthodox you know sports science approach to to how players are treating and then he's you know focusing more maybe on the on the player um, on their mental well-being uh, and, and and maybe not just not necessarily, you know, the hands-off approach to, and it's it's certainly a different way of thinking. I don't think you can rule anything out. Uh, I think I would be naive to think that, um, you know, the work that sports science teams and the medical teams are doing is the be-all and end-all. Um, I think there's still a lot of learning to do. You know, it, there's been very few advancements over maybe the last 20, 30, 40 years in terms of, you know, uh, what we know, you know, technologically, yes, with scanning and, and GPS and stuff like that. But in terms of, um, you know, the actual um, working with with the players and, and the hands-on approach of the of the medical teams, you know, there's not, there hasn't been, you know, many great leaps forward. So that's so maybe we're looking for a, you know, for a new wave in treatment. Maybe we you know, there's something new just around the corner and vegetative training maybe is one of those theories that may be taken forward. Yeah, I suppose with uh, the rate of human technological advancements, we're always going to plateau at some stage, but there'll always be a break- breakthrough and things will go crazy again. So I suppose it's just a matter of time. Yeah. Um, let me think. we we'll go for another one. Dan Jackknife wants to know, Hi Ben, what sort of injuries would you say could virtually destroy a player's pace? And the reason I think he asked that is based on players changing position in the wake of maybe not having the pace they once had. Michael Owen's been well documented to to say his career changed significantly because of his pace. I was reading Michael Cox's book actually about it and he went in, in a bit about that. Yeah, I, th- I think any significant time loss injury is, is, is going to have a detrimental effect on a player. I mean, if you consider, it's particularly these days, those players involved in the Premier League are at their, their peak level of performance. You know, they're right on the cusp of, of their physical boundaries. You know, so to suffer any kind of significant time loss injuries, you know, then it's going to be very, very difficult 
to you know to reach those um, levels again. And you know, very few players um, return better than they did. You know, um, pre-injury. So it's um, it's you know, and those um, you know, those chronic those debilitating issues. Um, you know, they can all have uh, effects on that. So um, you know. Yeah, ACLs again. We'll go back to that. You know, that's you know that that's always going to be a difficult one to recover from. Um, hamstrings, like you see, you mentioned the the, the Michael Owen stuff. Um, you know, we, we talk about players adapting their games, so it's yeah, it's um, it it comes down to the individual in in the injury. But you know, you know, I think any any significant time loss injury is is going to have a detrimental effect. Great. I'll ask another question or two, and then I'd say we'll wrap things up. The there was a question here from Daly asking how are you enjoying football index, and is it well within well known within the professional game? I suppose he's asking this. So when you have some contacts with your, you've, I see from your profile you've you've obviously done some work with Sky Sports, the Telegraph, Talksport, different companies that are pretty big. Is football index a well known thing yet? Do people. Are they aware of it, or is it still a wee bit niche, and we all just think it's bigger than it is? Um, look, I think in terms of the, um, I think it's gained some massive amounts of traction. Uh, certainly, you know, over the maybe six, twelve, eighteen month, you know, you just have to look at the um, some of the people involved. Um, you know, the John Motsons, the advertising campaigns. Uh, you know the affiliation now with with Knott's Forest. Uh, you know it's hard not to to sit up and, and, and take notice of who the index are. Um, whether people fully understand the concept, uh, I'm not so sure. You know I, I'm still quite surprised when I have conversations with a lot of people and they're still, you know, yeah we've heard of it, yeah we've seen it, but I've you know I've got no idea what that's about. Um, uh, you know, so I, I can't, I can only speak from a, you know, a very, very small sample size. Uh, it, it's not something that I, you know, go out and, and, and actively, you know, I don't want to bore people to death to talk about, you know, my portfolio rises and, and who's fallen and, and, and performance in media payouts. And um, so it's not something that, that readily comes into conversation a lot of the time, but certainly from, from my experience, people are asking, people are interested, but I, I don't know, you know, if they're actively sort of partaking in the index as such. Um, and I don't know even where that falls in, in terms of, you know, um, affiliates and players within the clubs and, and the gambling and, and the rules on, on being able to, to buy shares on the portfolio with regards to that. That's again, that's something which um, I'm not sure if they're even allowed to. Um, yeah. I've thought that but, myself before. But certainly it's, for me. Yeah. I was going to say, it sounds like something Joey Barton would get caught doing just some fucking weird fishy thing that, <laughs> that would tarnish its reputation to the public. I don't know. It, it is gambling and it is on football. So maybe, maybe it wouldn't be allowed for the actual players themselves and maybe yeah. I don't know how it goes deeper into clubs and the actual hierarchy managers and coaches and stuff, but yeah. yeah. So it, it, it's a bit of a gray area, but certainly in terms of, of me, I, I enjoy it. Do you know what it is? I think I have, um, it's peaks and troughs. 
there are there are times when I'm I'm almost uh, I mean I check my portfolio every day it, just as a matter of course to see how it's been performing over the last twenty four hours. Um, but there are times when you know I maybe just fancy a, a portfolio clear out, you know. And anybody who's in green, I'll just sell and I'll reinvest anywhere else. And other occasions, I can just leave things as they are for you know four, six, eight weeks. Like I say, it's all. It's all really, I'm not seeing any of the money. The money is always getting reinvested. It's all about this this World Cup in the USA. So, um, all about compounding that interest. Yeah. It, I mean, it, I'm a little bit frustrated. When things are going well, obviously it's, it's exciting and I, I want to do more. Uh, when I've took a couple of hits, uh, uh, you know, it pisses us off a little bit, and I ease back. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. As you say, coming to one of those crossroads where you just want to sell everyone who's in the green. I'm at one of them now. I just want to. So, like, I have a new kind of strategy in my head that I think would be much more profitable than long term holds. A very promising players, but I'm thinking I just list them all to the market, and when the money comes in, reinvest in more, more, more short term kind of flippy things. But I mean, uh, it's hard. Yeah. I mean, I had some. I've had some disasters. I had, I had Pogba. Um, it it's six pound before they, before they they gotten broke down. You know, the the, the triple before they basically th- cut the price by in a, in a third. So he oh, would yeah. have been a, an eighteen pounder at that time. I had Van. I had Van Dyke at, at seventy pence. I had De Jong at sixty pence. Um. And I pulled the trigger far too early. So I'm trying to learn my lesson the hard way. Yeah. Well, look, everyone could learn from that. Um, I need to do that as well. I've pulled the trigger on some absolute <laughs> clinkers, like, and you're selling them for a third of what the price they are now, and it's heartbreaking. Um, so maybe that's where the patience comes in again. Mm. One quick last question. We'll wrap it up. I've got rugby to go to, and, and I'm sure you have things to be up to. Um, do you play fantasy football, and how are you getting on? Um, in short, yes, I play on uh, a number of formats, primarily the, the official game. Uh, I tend normally to start pretty slow and finish the season strongly. I think I finished uh, around about 30,000 last season. Um, so top, I, I always, you know, I aim for maybe top 1% is good um, because I'm always asked the question on a weekly basis, shows your team. What position are you? So just, you know, um, just for my own credibility, I need to try and put a little bit of effort into trying to keep myself <laughs> up there. Um, I've had yeah. a bit of a, a, a normal slow start. I'm in the top one million at, at the moment, but I'm not overly concerned because, you know, we're only four weeks in. Oh, yeah. Long runs of Fox. And I think a lot of those, if there's six or seven million play, half of them or, I don't know, at least 40% of them will probably drop off by Christmas. So. We'll see how we get on later in the season. But but I think we'll wrap it up there. Um, thank you so much for coming on. I really do appreciate your time. And before we go, do you want to tell people maybe all the things and places they can find you and a bit more about your website and stuff? Um, yeah, so primarily most people find me behind um, my Twitter timeline, which is at Ben Dinnery. Uh, mostly injury-related questions, but there, there are people that inquire about the index. Um, and for those that can't uh, or prefer to visit the website, we have www.premierinjuries.com, and that will provide you with a full breakdown of all 20 teams uh, in the Premier League got four player availability with potential return dates and you know the latest quotes from the club 
and managers uh, or the players themselves. So again, that's that's a resource which can lend itself well to both the index and fantasy football. There we go. People know where to find you. Thanks again, Ben. Hopefully we'll talk again in the future. It's been a pleasure, John. Thank you very much, mate. Da, 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 da. How long can we keep this going on for? <laughs> oh my god, it was so bad. But that's that's what we want. How are you, trading Bear? I'm very well, thank you, Irish. Yourself? <laughs> I'm grand. I'm grand. Um, you couldn't join us last week. You had a you had a bit of a catastrophe. Sure, you're telling me, yeah. Um, just, just for the listeners' benefit, though, I'm firmly outside of the doghouse now. The wedding ring has been found, much <laughs> to my delight, as much as hers, I think. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I would have shot myself if that had happened. Not that I have a wedding <laughs> ring, but I'd say your heart was going 90. Do you know that? You know when you like pat your pocket and your phone isn't there? And just that when your stomach drops? It says like that times 10 with a wedding ring, but... Um, it was beating. It was beating. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But but now the heartbeat's gone down to a normal normal eighty to ninety beats per minute, and it's good fine. stuff. Did you hear Football Index Manager's intro? I did. Yes, I have to say I was very impressed with it. I, I think the bar has been set very very high. Yeah, and we've just yeah. loved it a uh, multiple uh, with our introduction there. So yeah. So I suppose on the actual podcast now we'll call for anyone to send us audio files of you attempting it. The worse it is, the better. Or the better it, better it is, the better. But um, FI Force is going to do it next week, and we're looking forward to that. Um, I suppose we just get stuck into it. Yeah, just uh, how, how do people send you the intro? Uh, email. But I suppose if they message me directly on Twitter or Facebook or wherever, I can give them the email. Brilliant. Um, do you know what I should do? I should set up a podcast email. That's what professional people do, isn't it? Yeah, exactly, anyway, yeah. Yeah, I'll get that sorted. Okay, we get into the biggest risers and fallers of the week. Um, the big end, you're going to give us the five stars where where they fall yep, on the sure. five star being buy them, buy them, buy them. One star being get out. Three star being if you have them, hold. If you don't have them, don't buy them. Something like that. Yeah, sure. Uh, okay, so the biggest movers of the past seven days. No surprise. Danielle Malin is up forty four pence by twenty nine percent to one ninety four. Yeah, massive rise yesterday, and and for good reason. He scored five goals, didn't he, in PSV's match? Yeah. All five goals in in their five 0 win. I must admit, um, I bought in on the hat trick, uh, thinking, oh, I hold him, I buy him, buy him for that hat trick rise, and then play him for the Thursday if they've got a Europa League match at home to Sporting this coming Thursday. And then he kept, kept on continued going up. Uh, scored another two goals, as I said, taking to Italia five. And I've actually sold them today. So I've only actually held them for, what, 20, 21 hours, but made an 18p profit per share on him. So, yeah. Happy nice one. And would yeah. you, where'd you sell? Well, so, um, I, you know, I just take profit on him, I suppose. I, I, I don't think he's a bad hold if you've got him. He's now, the trouble is, he's now got to live up to that. A bit a bit like Halland. Halland's another one that I hold. He's got to keep scoring two, three goals a game now to hold that price of around about £2. But, but if you take Hallen's price at the moment of £2.20, £2.30, Hallen's still got another 20 30 p to catch, catch up to that. So he's got he's got a little bit of movement there. So I, I would say he's a three out of five. Very good. We'll move on to the second biggest riser. Up 30 pence to 136 by 28%. Musa Gianapo. Yeah, Southampton we're... Um, 
I was actually told about him a couple of weeks ago and I stupidly didn't take it any further. But he looks a very exciting winger. He's part of the the trio of Belgian... Well, he's not Belgian himself. He's from Mali, I think. But from the Belgian league that Premier League clubs bought, Toissot, uh, Leon Toissot from Brighton was another. And so, yeah, Southampton bought him for 14 to 20 million, I think. Looks a very good player. Looks very explosive on the wings. Uh, Southampton have got a single game day coming up on Friday. It's a big rise. Can he again? Can he keep that? But I think he's another three out of five for me, similar to Mallon. Very good. Next one up forty pence, which is twenty percent to two thirty nine. Our most expensive riser of the week actually is Martin Odegaard. I can't believe this one. He's a player that I love. Uh, he's he's absolutely built for PB, uh, and I sold him at two pounds, thinking he's got a couple of, a couple of tough games before Saki Dad go into some easy winnable games. And I thought a home game at home to Atletico Madrid. Famous defence there under Simeone. He's not going to do much. So I sold him just on, on the day before <laughs> Norway played Sweden. And of course, he gets an assist in that Norway one all game. He, he keeps rising quite a little bit surprisingly, actually, the following day. Uh, and then he, of course, scores the first goal in Saki Dad's 2 0 win over Atletico at the weekend. So he's, he's gone up 40p. So yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm a bit miffed by that one, but uh, <laughs> justified because he's a top player. Yeah, he's really come into his own because I think. He was the next hot thing like two or three years ago and then he just disappeared when he went to Madrid because obviously he didn't get game time. But now he's yeah. really coming back into himself. I feel that happens a lot with players. Like I remember Yuri Tielemans, he was huge a couple of years ago. Like on FIFA, mm. he was the dream kid. And then he disappeared for a year or two. Was it Anderlecht he played at? But yeah, he didn't really yeah. set the world alight like in terms of footballing fans being aware of him and loving him. But now he's came to Leicester... And like they obviously made him permanent. He was playing great towards the end of last season. And if he kicks on this season, um, God knows where he'd be. But that happens a lot with these youth players. Sometimes they can have a little bit of a quiet spell if they get a, a big signing or a big move and then they kind of come into their own. And I think that's what's happened with Odegaard. Um, uh, but, and I think we might see something similar with Kubo as well, the, the Japanese youngster yeah, uh, that's signed for Real Madrid and now obviously on loan to Mallorca. So. Yeah, I think we might see something similar with him in a couple of years' time. But but Odegaard, if you hold him, I think he's a four out of five. I think he's a top player. Very good. Uh, next one up nineteen percent, which is twenty four pence to one forty eight, is Odson Edward, Celtic striker. Yeah, um, I bought I bought him at ninety p. Um, I can't remember what it was, but uh, before a Europa League game, and he scored that day, and I got a nice nine ten p rise out of him. I thought, yeah, that'll do me. That's nice. But then he's got in the, I think it's the French under 21s uh, over the international break, and he scored, either scored or assisted uh, during the international break, and his profile's been rising and rising. And uh, a, tr- a trade on the index called FI Genesis, he follows the French players, yeah. specifically the French players a lot. And I know he, he's a big fan of him. Uh, and, and rightly so, he's in a Dembele mode. Obvious comparison there that if he does well at Celtic, continues to do well and scores goals there. He's going to get linked with a bigger club and, and be sold on like Dembele was. So, yeah, another solid solid long-term hold there. Another four out of five for me. Yeah, FI Genesis. I've tried to get him on. I think he's busy or he's away or something. But if he's listening, come on the podcast, mate. Tell us all about French football. I'm calling you out. Um, <laughs> we'll move on. Yeah, I, I think it'd be very interesting as well. It would be. It'd be great. Um, I think I reached out to him a while ago and he was busy or he said to get back to me. I can't remember. But, um, yeah. Great, great account. You should all go and give him a follow. 
Joan Jordan is up 19%, which is 26 pence to 161. Yes, and his rise was today. We were recording this Sunday at half past six in the evening. Uh, obviously scored today uh, the only goal in the 1-0 win for Seville. Good solid win that away from home. The only trouble with him, he, he gets subbed, doesn't he? With, with Seville having the Europa League and uh, the rotating positions, he gets subbed quite a lot between the 60th and 80th minute mark. And although he is leading the, the MB today with a score of 2-4-1, just holding out by one point, and I think he, he will go on to win that today. He's a good player, but it's, it's frustrating for holders if he doesn't play the 90 minutes, I think, long-term-wise. But £1.61, I think he can go up to £1.80, £1.90, so uh, another four out of five, another four decent five. player. So there's a bit of movement left in some of the big risers this week, um, is what we're thinking. Uh, we're going to the biggest long, fallers. Yeah, yeah long-term boys, yeah. Um, something again I just want to point out here before we go on it, I love this because it's every week and it shows the growth in the platform even if you've had a bad week or a relatively static week like the biggest five risers were up 29%, 28%, 20%, 19%, 19% and then there's like 18, 17, loads of 16s, 14s but if you look at the biggest drops of the week like the biggest drops only 7% do you know? Yeah, it, it yeah. I, I, I mean the market is is just continually growing day upon day, week upon week, isn't it? But just just a quick point. What is nice to see, I mean, the, the ones we just discussed and the top five risers today, three out of five of them were Joan Jordan, Martin Odegaard and Stefano Sensei. Three really, really solid PB players. And, it, and it's great to see actual PB talent up there as opposed to young talent on a, on a whim of a, a rumour that he might get in the squad in the following week. So, yeah, a minor point that, but just nice to see solid PB players and risers. Yeah, definitely. Um, they're my, probably my most my favorite part of the platform, but it gives me the most joy. But um, we move on to the fallers. Uh, Rodrigo de Paul is down to one forty, which is seven percent, eleven pence. Yeah, I might be wrong here, but I, I did I see him get injured at the weekend. I think he got a red card. I don't know. Red card was it? Was that that was the reason for the for the drop? Was it? Yeah. Yeah, he got a red card. He's a cracking player, and he carried Udinese last season. I'm surprised he's still there. Yes, yeah, he, he was strongly linked with a move to Fiorentina, uh, either before or, or even after Veritu uh, joined uh, from Fiorentina to Roma, and he, he was touted as his replacement. Ultimately, he obviously didn't, didn't go, and he's still at Udinese now. £1.40, he's probably sensibly priced for me now. He's a streaky player. He can go in massive, massive spells of scoring and assisting left, right and centre, and then do nothing for two, three months. So one pound forty, yeah, it's a three out of five for me. Okay, Florian Thovan is down twelve pence to one fifty six, which is again seven percent. Yeah, now this one is an injury. He's been he's going to be out until end of December. I think the quote said with an ankle injury. He's one that I would normally normally buy um, on the back of that injury with with the the, the much popular buy on the the low injury front and wait a couple of months until they come back. But Marseille are out of Europe, and that's the only thing holding him back on me. Uh, he's, he's getting to an age now as well. I think he's 28, possibly 29. Um, so he's a few... Uh, oh, no, I've just looked him up. He's 26 years old. I stand corrected. Oh, he's got a few years left in him. Yeah. Uh, I'm just going to change my opinion then, <laughs> on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> um, what price is he now? He's sitting at 156. 156. Okay, so for a PB player, solid PB player, which he is, you're looking for a new price bracket this season of anything between about £1.50 and £1.80 uh, on a consistent basis. So he's now on the lower ceilings for that. 
But of course, you are going to have to wait two, three months until he's back on the pitch. So as a long-term hold, I think he's four out of five. As a current hold, in terms of what you could do with the money in that meanwhile, I think he's a two out of five star. So we'll, we'll go for an average and another three out of five stars there. So it depends what type of trader you are for him, I yes. suppose. Yeah. Ross Barkley is down 10 pence, which is 7% uh, to 136. Yeah, uh, and I only see that getting worse, worse sadly. Yeah, he's he's a player that frustrates frustrates fans, I think. he He's obviously got so much talent, but he just lacks that extra yard of pace, I think. And now Mason Mount is taking over and Hudson Odoi Biaksu and uh, Ruben Loftus Cheek as well. So extra competition. I think his price will slowly go down. It, it might go up when he scores in the Carling Carling Cup or the League Cup. Um, but one pound one pound twenty is probably his his rightful price, I'd say. So two out of five stars for me. Yeah. Um Marcus Rashford is down thirty P to that's six percent to four thirty six. Yeah, he's part of the the high price premiums that have really felt a a huge huge price fall in the last couple of weeks, haven't they? The premium sector of the market. Mm. I do think it will start to come back now. Um, I'll talk about that more in a minute. But I do think we'll start to see the premiums hit back due to the Champions League being back. Um, £4.36 for Rashford. I still think that's a little bit too high, even though he's now on penalties. Well, Pogba was out, wasn't he, yesterday? But he's, he at least scored a penalty yesterday in a, in their 1-0 victory. I, I would say his price is around about £3.80. £3.90 is a sensible price for Rashford. He's just not getting the MB. Um, along with the performances which would merit a £4 plus player for me so yeah it's a 2 out of 5 hold for me very good a 2 out of 5 yeah the thing with Marcus Rashford that gets me is I mean you'd think young English suppose it exciting I don't know if he's past the excitement stage he probably is and like Manchester United centre forward English all the rest and he's like 4.36 and fallen I get what you're saying about 3.80 but could he not really easily, if he was on a good run of form and if he did bang in twenty in a season, he could he could definitely be up around the six quid mark. No, like, why why couldn't he be? I think six quid is is too much. I mean, I I could see him up to the five quid mark. I could see him up with Harry Kane. Um, see, that's what I'm thinking. Like like I mean, if Harry Kane's a five, if 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 Harry Kane's a fiver, now I'm just throwing six quid out there. I'm not saying I think he's worth it. And, at the minute, and I'm not saying I would buy him because I definitely wouldn't, but I'm sort of just throwing it out there as a thought. Like, what is it about him that he's dropping that low? Because I know it's the consistency, basically. I mean, I've, I've just looked at yeah. the price. So Harry Kane's now four pounds eighty nine. Rashford's four pounds thirty six. So there's only actually a fifty p price difference. That's not it? that bad, I suppose. Uh, and it's, no, it's not. I mean, for him to be a six pound player, there's only one, two, three. There's only currently five players six pounds and higher. They are Sterling and Mbappe, Pogba, Sancho, and Neymar. Rashford needs take it all back. Yeah, I mean, Rashford <laughs> needs, he needs to be scoring on a consistent basis, and not just the odd goal here and there. He needs to be hitting braces, and Manchester need to be Manchester United need to be in that form that they were when Solskjaer first took over. If he's doing that, then he's getting the MB as well in time for Euros, the end of the season. If they click, there's no reason why he can't hit the five pounds. But I, I just can't see United performing amongst the, amongst the very best this season and I think that's why he's why he's priced as he is at the moment 
Yeah, I think you're you're a hundred percent right. It's just it's one of those. It's always kind of it's not baffled me because I do understand why he's that price, but I always look at him and think there's there's there was so much potential there, and like I think in a different in a parallel universe, he's king of the index because he's actually doing well, but he just isn't doing as well as everyone would think. Do you know because like Manchester United and the England effect are both in that player, and he's young. It's just the form that's eluding him. If he was if he was, which he isn't. A twenty twenty five goal a season striker with that sort of consistency, he would be brilliant. But I suppose this is me just talking absolute bollocks because he isn't what I'm saying. He would be. Do you know what I mean? He he's just not that. And I think as yeah. a United fan, you, you want them to be, and you want to think he can be, and you want to think he's the next big thing for England and United. But he just hasn't kicked on. I think the other thing majorly against him, uh, which Kane doesn't face at all. Marcus Rashford is currently the 13th most expensive player on the index. The person who's 11th most expensive, do you know who it is? Mason Greenwood. Mason Greenwood, yeah. And, and I think that's the other problem he faces. He's no longer seen as the, as the saviour or the young up-and-coming striker of Manchester United. He's got Mason Greenwood in the shadows just waiting to explode. And I think that's what's holding his price down as well. The media seem desperate yeah. for Greenwood to succeed rather than Rashford. That makes sense. Anyway, enough rash for talk. Merlin Pjanic is down 12 pence to 178, which is 6%, and he's our final dropper of the week, you could say. Yeah, another one who falls in the mould of um, the PB player, so the playmaker, and, and another one who got uh, an injury again. I think it was an ankle injury. But looking at Sarri's quotes, I don't think it'll be a, a, a long injury. Of, you're not talking two, three months here. I think you're literally talking two, three weeks. So he's it, it, a solid player. Like If, if you're a PB port favourite, you should buy him now because he's going to be good all season long. Juventus got a very kind up and coming fixtures in the next two, three months. And yeah, there's not much to say about it, really. If you're going to hold him long term, he'll be fine. Three out of five for me. Three out of five. Very good. Well, that's our risers and fallers done. Um, do you have a prospect player in mind for this week? I do. Uh, I've got three clues if you want to guess. Yep, let's do it. Right. Okay. Your first clue. He's a forward who is older than 30 years old. Oh my! Oh, okay, first guess, um, Jared Moreno. Oh, great guess, but it's not him. He plays in Syria and has European football this season. Oh, Zapata? No, he's not that old. That that doesn't count. Alejandro <laughs> Gomez, or is he a midfielder? Uh, I think he's as a mid on the game, isn't he? But I'll, I'll take both of those as good But it's not either of those. The last clue then. He had an extremely dodgy statue made of him in his hometown of Madeira. <laughs> okay, I think Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs> yes, Cristiano Ronaldo. 34-year-old Cristiano Ronaldo. So then, why Ronaldo then? Well, here we go. Well, the Champions League kicks off this week once more, and he really is the king of the competition. Don't forget that this year's Champions League as well, the PB scores will be multiplied by 1.25 on the scoring matrix against any other domestic league games take place the same day. His record in the Champions League... 126 goals in 162 appearances. That's more goals in the Champions League than the likes of Lukaku, Ian Wright, or even Stephen Gerrard have scored in the whole of their Premier League careers. I found, I found, yeah, I found that stat amazing. But. That's insane, <laughs> isn't it? Um, his MB appeal is up there with the very best. Uh, he won just last week on the back of scoring four goals away uh, against Lithuania for Portugal. You can buy him now and be eligible for Portugal's next home game against Luxembourg on the 11th of October. 
And on the subject of fixtures, well, I touched upon it when I was talking about Pjanic a minute ago. Juventus are about to embark on a two-month binge of great fixtures. After a tough matchup against Atletico, they've got this Wednesday night in the Champions League. Although I think Ronaldo will be fired up for that as well, given their history last year, obviously being ex-Real Madrid. After that, though, Juventus have got three out of four home games against the likes of Verona, Leverkusen and Spaghetti Bolognese, as I call them, or SBAL. <laughs> uh, and then they've got a, a game away to Lowly Brescia in between. So great immediate fixtures, and then they've got even more good fixtures after that as well. You, you can check out my Twitter page, at TradingBear1, for a full list of those. The only really hard fixture they've got in there for the next two months is Inter Milan away. Um, but if you combine those fixtures for Juventus with, as I said, Portugal's home game against Luxembourg, then the fixtures-wise, it's as good as it gets for a, for a player. Really. Lastly, his yield. His yield last year was 31%. I mean, he picked up 81p in dividends in MB alone. He's already picked up a first, a second and a third place spot in MB this year, along with a Starman PB performance. He's a price of £3, and I think for a premium player, I think it's great value this year with the Euros at the end of the season. He's obviously still in great shape. He barely misses a game, uh, unlike Messi, who's £5. Hello, uh, Messi is starting to come back after a six-week layout. And I personally think that Ronaldo is going to carry on playing at the top level, at least until the next World Cup in 2022. As he'll, he'll want one more shot of the big thing, missing his trophy cabinet. Now, I also touched on the, pat- the fact that the senior premiums, especially the top-end five, £6 players, take a hit in recent weeks. But as a cheaper quality players become harder to find, it's this time of the year, you're looking at October, November, with European football coming back in, that the premiums once more rule the roost. So for all those reasons, this week's, or rather this month's prospect player, I should say, is Cristiano Ronaldo. Very good. Cristiano Ronaldo. He just hasn't lost it yet. I think actually on the podcast, we're recording this after I recorded the actual podcast, but I'm pretty sure me and Ben Dinnery talked about him briefly. And uh, this will be the second or third podcast in a row. I've called him a sexy bastard. Um, <laughs> I think yeah. he calls himself that, doesn't he? <laughs> he does, yeah. It's uh, rubbing off. But um, look, Trading Bear, thank you very much for joining us. And everyone who wants to find you can find you at Trading Bear 1, is it? Yeah, Trading Bear 1, yeah. Very good. Well, look, we'll hopefully talk to you next week, if not the weekend after. Superb stuff, yeah. I should be there next week as well. Good stuff. Thanks very much. Talk to you soon. See you later.